this week's episode, we talk to travel, fashion and commercial photographer Lucy Lort, who's based out of London, New York. We talk about Instagram, cats, likers and the good old friend of the photographer, imposter syndrome. It's a cracker of a chat and we hope you enjoy. So Tom, welcome along for the podcast. Are you sitting well, well, me? Welcome along. Welcome to you too. Thanks for accepting my invitation. <laughs> I, I think we've got a cracker today with Lucy. Um, yeah, it's good, isn't it? She's one of those photographers who I've been aware of for a long time on social media, on, on Instagram, and um, something really magical about her work and the way that she shoots um, that's kind of got this slightly nostalgic, romantic kind of timelessness, which I love. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm excited to hear about her kind of approach. Um, her her colour work is just sublime it is just really really yeah. beautiful color so yeah she, and she's great she's great fun full of dad jokes so uh and and cats she's not full of cats obviously that would be impossible no, i mean if, if anyone's <laughs> it's just a bit weird but just uh, if anyone's been following her on uh, her insta story she's um she's been going through cat mageddon with kittens but uh, um, she's not the only person who's been going through catmageddon because for some reason God. you told me the other day that you've ado- accidentally adopted a blind cat. Deaf. Deaf. Deaf I don't cat, think, sorry, right. I don't think he's blind. He has got one blue eye and one green eye. Um, yes. I mean, I know this isn't a cat podcast, so it pains me to go into this, but we lost our cat during Corona. Like, didn't lose him. We know where he is. He's, he's dead. Um, but um, we... <laughs> We, uh, Sorry. yeah, we, <laughs> that's the most insensitive response I could have possibly done. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. He's, uh, he's in a wicker basket waiting to go on the ground. Um, yeah, no, we, so we've been lent, well, not lent, we're looking after a friend's cat, but he happens to be deaf and has the loudest meow. And honestly, it sounds like a small child screaming, which has been a bit weird because we've got building work going on at the moment in our house. And apparently he's been sat in the window screaming at the builders, (laughs) freaking them out because he's got one blue eye, one green eye, and he's pure white. And he wears a little bow tie. It honestly looks like the epitome of evil. He wears a bow tie. Is this this Blofeld's cat? Is that that what you accidentally (laughs) adopted? I think they think he's kind of the yeah some kind of infected with some evil spirit. <laughs> the possessed cat. Nice. Yeah. Totally. And what, and what else has been going on? Um, well, I have been trying not to spend money on new kit. Um, how's, how's that? Yeah. How's that going? Well, lots of, well, I I ended up <laughs> going into the house of Fuji uh, today. And um, looking again at the X-T4s, which I hope to be soon upgrading to, and the X-Pro3, which I don't need but want. And I have just bought the X-100V. So you could say I'm utterly failing on that on that front. I um, mean, you're failing almost as badly as I am, which <laughs> I've just bought a whole fleet of new Sony kit. Yeah. So, And, well, I mean, you're constantly buying the most... We'll talk about those brackets. What was that bracket you had the other day? K. Kirk. Kirk. Yeah. yeah. So I, I I can't talk about, I can't name the company, 
But basically, I was previously using a company, uh, and I'm going to be a bit vague here because I think it was this is probably quite a libelous thing to say. But basically, their company founder had supported a bit of legislation that was anti-equal uh, marriage in America and had donated about $10,000 to a PAC that was supporting a um, piece of legislation that would basically be anti LGBT weddings and I sorry LGBTQ plus and for me I do like to consider myself a bit of an ally in that way and you know the best way for me to do it is to vote vote with my wallet yeah so I, I started use I, I sold all that kit got rid of it not a single piece in the house uh, and then bought pro media gear who do their own version it's really good stuff uh, but now I'm getting rid of that because they don't i think they do do one for the sony's but i found a kirk one which is really beautifully formed uh and it has... some point, we should give listeners your ebay handle because they can just hang around in the wings waiting for you to sell off your kit again <laughs> it's every two weeks currently <laughs> so... <laughs> but yeah big big ebay sale come in about a week or so so keep looking up right. well it looked it looked really good it looked like a good system um you know, it's. Uh, I've been having fun with um, HDMI ports failing on cameras. Mm. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's kit, man. It's a pain in the ass, isn't it? I mean, we love it and we hate it. I mean, I tend to just love it because as soon as I hate it, I get rid of it. And so I tend, yeah. I, I guess it is kind of love-hate because I do eBay things every week. <laughs> But yeah, for see, me, I'm, do, I'm not a big eBayer like you, so I, I end up kind of hoarding kit that I think, well, maybe I'll use that one day and then never do. Oh, so actually, that's interesting you say that. So I used to, I used to be like you, without being to sound too much like the Jungle Book. <laughs> um, and I, I used to have, you know, the sheets of like little stickers you used to get when you were good in school. Like, oh, you'd be yeah. like, oh, I got a blue sticker. That means I'm really good. Um, you give yourself stickers. Yeah. Well, this was back when schools. This was back when schools had budget to spend on stickers. Right. Okay. Okay. And I had sheets of these stickers, and I I would put a blue sticker on everything. So I would go into my. I had a lockup at the time, and I would go through, and I would put a blue sticker on every bit of gear I owned, and then every time I used a bit of gear, I would take the sticker off. Right. And so, so I do that with blue tape. I hope we're not got the same same shade of blue. Well, that would be awkward, wouldn't it? Well, considering we're never in the same room. Oh no, no, no! Mine were actual blue dots, not not progress. Right, okay. Um, but yeah, I, away, so, be... <laughs> but then every, like <laughs> but every every six months, I would I would do that every six months, and so every six months I would go through and anything that had a blue sticker on still, I would just get rid of. No questions. If I haven't used it in six months, get rid. No point. Oh, no point in keeping it. So when you use kit, you take the sticker off. That was your exactly. system. Exactly. And so then after the six months eBay sale, I would then put orange stickers on everything. And then I would do the exact same thing. So now my kit is basically as minimal as it can do. I'm going to just start doing it with red stickers, I think, is the next one. Mm. So that's my my next thing. Do you ever turn up to shoot so and go, I wish I had that little bit of grip or that bit of kit? Is this the thing where I find I get the most amount of excess weight if you're going to kind of editorial shoots is from, it's not from the lights, you know, it's not from the stands necessarily. They're relatively manageable. It's my grip kit that keeps growing because there's so much you could do with grip. 
Yeah, it's frustrating. But there are ways around the weight issue, like Matthews, for example. We all love the Matthews stuff, and they're like uh, grip heads are like industry standard. They mm. do a thing called mini grip. I don't know if you've right. seen that, but it's basically no. made of plastic resin, and it weighs a fifth of what the metal stuff mm. does. And okay. it's not quite as strong, but is it strong enough for ninety percent of, stuff of the do stuff? They do that, like super clamps. You know, uh, yeah, so they no, so mini grips are basically like a, they're just like a grip head, but they do kind of like extensions. It's it's basically for holding small flags and things like that, right? Okay, but actually, yeah. for most of the stuff we would use it for, like you and I, we tend to use quite small bits of kit, and actually, most of the time, it'd probably be all right. See, I'm waiting for somebody to come up with. I saw the other day you'd got a great um, Lasterlite uh, pop up reflector right yeah i did yeah Yeah, i can't remember what it's called the halo and it's so i I, for years i've used the the pro photo you know the foldy ones that are always really funny when you give them to people and they can't fold them up uh, and then they end up breaking them um but that's always my test for an assistant i throw them that and they put it away and if they're (laughs) they're 10 minutes later you get rid (laughs) yeah well yeah show them twice and then if they can't do it the third time I think, that's, I think that's probably quite fair enough. I'm joking, guys. I don't really do that. that is, it's actually the second time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you only get one opportunity. Um, but yeah, the, ha- the Halo stuff, it folds down. I can fit four of those Halo reflectors in the space of what I used to be able to store one of the Profoto ones. Oh, wow. that's, that's how small and compact it is. See, I'm waiting for a brand to start doing good a good flag kit i mean mm-hmm. there are good flag kits out there but they're monstrously expensive mm-hmm. um and a collapsible flag kit i guess i mean i use luster light are they rap- sky rapids or skylights skylights yeah, yeah. and i mean you-, you can use i mean they're relatively lightweight for what they are as aluminium frames and you can yeah. you know your black black um moleskin kind of stuff on there to to, to use it as a flag or whatever but mm-hmm. it's still a big bit of kit to be lugging around but even when they collapse the bag's still quite big but it'd be amazing to have a flag system that was a bit like the halo system that you have well there but is there is the westcott that. fast flags i don't know if you've seen them they're, they're good and they're, they're but they're they're not very strong when they're put together right i bought i bought a set about six months ago and i just felt they were very flimsy it would be they, it, like you say. It would be right. It would be sticker on them when you told them. Uh, green sticker on that one, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which uh, they were, they were, they were good, but I don't know if I'd. Well, I got rid of them, so obviously I couldn't have enjoyed them that much. But I used to use a guy called Manhan, who um, used to make a load of stuff for the TV guys, and he was based out of Wembley. But I think I emailed him a couple of weeks ago trying to get some custom flag sizes made up and he messaged me back saying that he'd been broken into and had all his stuff nicked so he was um he was currently out of business which i thought was very sad so yeah, i'm hoping yeah. at some point he does get back up because his stuff was great really nicely handmade stuff oh, if wow. you needed like okay. a specific size of flag to fit in your car he'd make it okay. i, used to, I yeah. used to love that yeah 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 i do i am interested in um how i mean you're not going to be able to 3D print a flag, but I am interested in how 3D printing is changing um, the kind of way that 
especially um, DigiOps, are kind of building their kits and being able to customize and custom build their own things. And I know there's a couple mm-hmm. of guys in the UK that sell stuff that they make and it's same in the States. Um, definitely think for maybe a future show, we should get a DigiOp on who does yeah, that. Well- we are actually going to have LS Digi coming on. He's already agreed. Oh, fantastic. So I've, I've had a lot of his stuff because I, I use the innovative uh, DigiPlate system. And he, mm-hmm. he prints and CNCs these amazing bits of kit, really, for it, like cable clamps and hard drive caddies and SD card reader slots and all sorts of stuff. And I, I am actually thinking about getting a 3D printer myself because, well, I just apparently love wasting money. <laughs> right well i mean people haven't um tuned in to listen uh, listen to us talk about kit so we should probably and and lucy did mention how much she found it funny that we loved our kit so much so yeah right sorry lucy we're actually gonna sack sack your interview off and just talk about kit i'm afraid (laughs) we're starting her episode with just kit chat but um yeah, this is a fantastic episode. Uh, got some really interesting tidbits in it. Uh, Lucy's um, was a wonderful uh, guest to have on. So please do go and follow her, check out her work. Um, and I believe she's selling prints at the moment. So they're going like hot potatoes. So if you are looking to do some decorating, which I think a lot of people are doing at the moment in lockdown, and you mm-hmm. fancy a nice uh scene of a sizzling beach somewhere in italy then um go check out her print shop as well scenes we of will... better times yeah indeed we will link to uh all the various things we've talked about as well in the show notes so make sure you check them out all of tom's shameless kit chat will be linked in the show notes so that you can uh in your own discreet time when yeah, well our, our next our next episode is actually going to be us chatting about productivity and so I'm sure at some oh, point there'll be a bit more yeah. kit talk and, and stuff like that. Oh, so. my goodness. It's going to be so I, much I, I can't soft, wait. Software chat as well. Software chat. Oh, and for, software. For, for that, I'm going to be the equivalent of kind of Carl Pilkington and, and to your Ricky Gervais. I think I'm just going to sit there like <laughs> the proverbial idiot, kind of <laughs> not really being able to put much input into it. But um, Oh, I don't know, man. You're not that, you're, you're not that bad. You're quite smart. cool well listen lucy made me not hate instagram so i'm hoping that is going to be how she makes you guys feel i i used to have a genuine phobia of the of the thing i just social media for me i just i don't know i just i used to love it and now i kind of just hate it but now after speaking to lucy i i'm I'm kind of starting to get back a bit yeah i am actually and um yeah she's just she was wonderful to chat to so uh yeah I hope you enjoy it. Okay, so welcome to the show. This week, we are joined by Lucy Lort, uh, photographer, cat lady, and former frequent flyer, or more aptly, um, fashion and travel photographer. Oh, best intro. Um, best intro Lucy, welcome to the show. <laughs> I mean, I say cat lady because we've already had a cat attacking the keyboard at your end. How many have you got I, in the house? I have four cats right now. I've gone from to four in... <laughs> In, in lockdown. Nought to four. I mean, that's it was right. a bold move to adopt a cat who was pregnant. I had no idea and... she was pregnant, in my defence. <laughs> in your defence. But I have. I'm leading a anyway. lifestyle, so. Yeah. 
Lucy obviously is 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 not on to talk about her cat collection. Um, she's on to talk about her. Well, we've got her on to talk about her fantastic um, fashion and travel work. Um, so if if people aren't aware of Lucy, she can be found on Instagram at Lucy Lort, uh, which is L A U C H T. But I imagine that people will be aware who are on Instagram because you've got. Just looking at this, two hundred fifty-one thousand followers. <laughs> that's a, that's a decent Got amount, enough. isn't it? It's my ten k really into uh, really into perspective. Yeah, it's selfish, <laughs> I think. Um, so, can you can you tell us a little bit about your kind of journey into photography? Because from what I understand, um, you you studied photography, right? And then you kind of took a bit of a deviation, and then you've come back to it like some kind of photographic boomerang. <laughs> That's a nice way of thinking about it. Yeah. Um, well, so tell us a bit about your background. Like, yeah, where are you so from? I sound like still black. I'm Birmingham, <laughs> originally, Birmingham, UK, not Birmingham, Alabama. Um, sorry. Okay. That's, that was my computer making noise. I've turned off now. Um, so I, I remember yeah. my first recording. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm originally from Birmingham and um, my dad was actually a photographer. Uh, so when we were growing up, we had a dark room in the attic, which was a source of endless curiosity and fascination for us as kids. So I guess I grew up in a pretty artistic and creative home, um, which influenced my decision to then study the arts. So I went on to college I uh, was studying photography. I don't think looking back, I was perhaps the best student at the time. I seemed to favor partying maybe more than I did picking up the camera, but my tutor wasn't too impressed with me. And I really clearly remember him saying to me one day, sitting me down saying, look, you have no eye for a photograph. And Ooh. I think that you would be best to pursue a different area of the arts or a different area of kind of creative endeavor. So I kind of listened to him and I thought, well, I'm going to put that camera down. And I did, which is kind of sad, I think. But anyway, that's that's that. And, you know, the major catalyst for picking up the camera again for me was I actually lost my brother in 2010. And um, he was like a really, really creative soul. He was in London studying at Chelsea and he was a photographer um, and an amazing artist. And I inherited all his cameras. And that was kind of when I picked it back up and I felt like looking through that viewfinder was perhaps like seeing things the way he did. Um, mm -hmm. And so shortly after he passed away, I moved to New York um, and was desperate to, to just earn some money and get a visa. So I kind of did anything I could and fell into a production job um, with an agency there and worked on uh, editorial shoot production with some amazing photographers like David Sims, which was just completely eye-opening to me and was a reminder that you know how amazing the industry is and like, I wanted to get back into that and then I moved to J Crew, um, which was a big successful retail brand not so anymore but it, at the time it was and uh, I worked there with some incredible photographers and and some really creative people and I guess so I was always in that orbit of the, that world whether it was in production or kind of commissioning photographers and then I was I guess I was like jobbing on the side or on like weekends or getting time off to, to do some freelance jobs, but not really feeling confident that I could take the leap. And then eventually a really good friend of mine who has become somewhat of a mentor for me, his name's Brian Dabala, um, and he is an incredible photographer. 
Uh, and he sort of just said, like, get one good gig. And if it's going to support you, just take that leap. And I did. And, um, yeah, and I've been shooting since then. So what year was that? That was kind of. Um, that was 2015 when I went freelance wow. full time. And I had been shooting on the side for a few years before that, but not seriously. Um, but I did it. I, it took me a really long time to feel that I was able to call myself a photographer because I, I think it was a combination of, of not having perhaps the formal education in it or maybe just not feeling experienced enough. And, and I think that led to some pretty like severe imposter syndrome for me as a mm-hmm. photographer coming up that I had to deal with. And now I can sort of confidently say, yeah, I'm a photographer. That's what I do. But for a long time, I was like, oh, God, I feel like a fraud. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That's an interesting point because I think a lot of photographers experience that at some point in their career is that kind of sense of imposter syndrome, and I think it's quite uh, common in lots of creative fields, not just photography. But do you find that? Do you think that maybe being in New York, it's a very competitive arena. You've got a lot of kind of machoism in the photography world as well. Do you think that there was an element of that involved? Um, I didn't know anything else other than New York. So it wasn't really the city for me. Although since being back in the UK, I found the industry here to be uh, maybe a lot more friendly and less competitive, perhaps. I think that's New York in general, like every single industry is competitive and that's what makes people great there. But um, God, that sounds a lot like a Trump statement, but I can't cut that. (laughs) Make make me all great again. (laughs) What are you talking about? You're wearing your MAGA hat. For listeners at home. To just go on record, I am not a Trump supporter. I hate that man with every cell in my body. Um, <laughs> I, I, I have had some situations where I've been on a shoot perhaps with a male, entirely male crew or work. This is a generalization, but I feel like, yes, I have had some work situations where I've worked with kind of older guys who have made me feel l- way less experienced and inferior I don't know how much that's been kind of me projecting that onto myself um but you know I in the end I kind of I went to therapy to get over my imposter syndrome like it it was really a big deal for me having to get over that and I knew that I wouldn't advance in my career unless I started to really believe in myself and and my capabilities and I think a lot of that came from uh, you know, knowing what I wanted to capture and, and knowing deep down that I had the creative vision, but not necessarily in the beginning had the um, technical know-how to execute on that. And that's something that comes with experience. And I I sort of read this quote a while ago and it, it really, it stayed with me. And I think it was the one thing that really helped, which was like, looking good is easier than getting good. Like you can posture and you can pretend you know and you kind of just have to ask for help. And, and, and that's come to me in the form of having some really good assistants who have taught me mm-hmm. um, forming a community with other photographers and being open enough to kind of share and not worry about competition, I think is, is a big thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but it's very much the spirit of this yeah. podcast, basically why we started it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because I think there's a lot of in, in any creative industry, I think that's, there's like it is a little cutthroat and everyone's trying to succeed and do their best work and there's a fear of imitation but I also think we have to be very vulnerable and honest about like where our you know 
where our weaknesses are and what we need to learn and where we need help. And, I, and that's been a big learning for me is just sort of saying like, uh, actually, I don't know what the hell I'm doing here. <laughs> like rather, you know, and that's okay because you're going to learn. But that's the big step, isn't it? We're kind of putting yeah. your hand up and going, do you know what? Actually, yeah. can't figure this fucking light out. Someone... <laughs> all... Yeah, no, it's 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 very much. I I think part of the process. And but I'd be to go back to when you kind of you spoke to someone about your own feelings of imposter syndrome. Is there anything that you really took away from that that would be helpful to any of our listeners who are currently going through and struggling with that themselves? Is there any advice that you kind of felt you took away from that? that is relevant to, to or could be relevant to other people. Um, you touched on it a little bit, I think, there, but is there anything that really kind of stuck out to yeah, you? Yeah, I just, I think, well, there's a couple of things, and, and this will actually segue into another question that we have, which is like, how do I pre- prepare for a shoot? But I think as you develop as a photographer, everybody finds their own eye, their own subject, their, their field, to, you've got to know what yours is and, and what you're drawn to and how to be completely honest in your work and then find that it, it's sort of it's hard to articulate but for me it's I, I see it as like finding a thread and I'll do it before a shoot and it's like I've got to get into that headspace of like what's the thread for this what's the narrative what's the story mm-hmm. um and and kind of knowing that like once you get to a position where you are like getting jobs people are coming to you for your aesthetic in like your your vision and in the beginning I would try and kind of pull pull reference and pull swipe for shoots and then Mm -hmm. almost like shoot into somebody else's style because that's what the client had you know approved and said they liked and I think you've just got to keep sort of going back to you yourself in a way and like what is it that I want to put out what it is what is it that I want to create here and and obviously that gets tricky when you're working on commercial projects when there's a lot of different voices in the room about what the final outcome will be Mm. Uh, but you Mm. know ultimately you've been hired for for what you do so stick to it Um, this is it and i think when people don't do what their style is or what their voice is then it loses that authenticity yeah then people are like nah not what we were after even though it might might be if if they'd hired the photographer who did shoot that style that would be what they after because it sounds it, it looks authentic yeah, and you know, you know what it feels like when you come out with a, of a shoot with a set of images that you just don't connect with, and then there's versus the shoots you come out with with a set of images that just sing. You know, you're like, yeah, yeah. yeah this is it, this is it. Mm-hmm. I I got something that makes me feel really happy. Mm. Don't care what the client mm. thinks at this point because <laughs> I'm really happy. But you know, it. Yeah. Um, I think also just kind of back to the going through that work that I did to get over the imposter syndrome is it's not just about imposter syndrome in photography. It's about being comfortable within yourself as a person, as a human Mm -hmm. believing you're enough, which is like a whole different podcast, but you know, having that confidence and and like being at ease with yourself. And that was a big thing that I had to work through to get to, to be on set with a, you know, a big team on commercial jobs where I could walk on and just feel ease with myself and know that I could create something and um, feel confident about that and it, it is really tough it's really tough and I don't think people talk a lot about the stress of that in this profession 
Um, and you don't see a lot of yeah. that in, in on Instagram or in the resulting images when it's raining and your clients sitting there looking at you saying, well, okay, what's the rain contingency plan? And like, mm-hmm. where, where's this gear? It's missing. And like all those other things that, that happen, you know, and you've got to just be like, it's okay, we've got it sorted. Don't worry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the old smile and wave. Yeah. <laughs> if in yeah. doubt, throw a kitten in, you know, it always distracts people. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so that's uh that's fascinating like that that's your that you've kind of had to go on that journey i mean when you look at your work um and for anybody who's kind of bringing up your feed as we speak like that you go through your website but also your instagram there is so much to me i look at it and i can immediately spot a picture that you've taken like it's there's such an amazing consistency to your work and to your eye like a really beautiful use of color there's a real naturalistic kind of feeling to it that I love, you know, some of the shots where you've got kind of movement and emotion. And I, especially that, that element of emotion I find really resonates in your work. Um, when you're kind of, obviously when you're putting stuff out there on, on social media, how have you, cause you have a large following, how have you felt that that's kind of helped or hindered you? Do you use it as a sounding board or are you now in a position where, you kind of need to um, be careful about what you share, et cetera, like that. I mean, how do, how does that all kind of work for you? Because you, how did your, how did you grow your following initially? Like it was something. That- well, I, if you care to scroll back through my Instagram feed until 2010, you'll find a lovely shot of me holding some salmon steaks, and then a really blurry shot of a snowy street in New York. So, look, I was great from the start. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> no I mean they're pretty bad I think I was just on there from the beginning um at when Instagram launched which helped I um got into taking pictures of my feet against tiled floors which people seem to like (laughs) grew a following and then um Actually, my my breakthrough moment was when Lauren Conrad, who was the actress in The Hills, don't know if you remember that, she did a roundup on her website of like people to follow on Instagram, and I was one of them. And that really kind of that was it. That was the moment. <laughs> I would like to say it's my work, yeah. but it wasn't. It was Lauren Conrad. Thanks, I, Lauren. My, I <laughs> I have a, a funny. I I loved The Hills actually. Bizarrely, <laughs> there was a who was the who was the bloke who wore all the crystals. Yeah, no idea, mate. So there was a there was a, there was a guy there was a guy. Tom, you're revealing right, a lot okay, about no, yourself. I just walk, you know when you kind of walk in and someone else is watching a TV show, and then this is your only memory of that TV show. My wife was watching The Hills. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Spencer, uh, right, that was whatever. his name, Spencer. <laughs> okay, yeah. And he he came, I watched I walked in and he came in and he goes he's wearing about thirty five thousand crystals around his neck. He goes, I think I need a couple more crystals. <laughs> It's like, dude, they clearly don't work. You've already got twenty around your neck, and that, my I'm friend, a big is the hills. For crystal. <laughs> Tom's sat in his office with a big yeah, poster of the hills, just, just out of shot. <laughs> I'm so glad because I've explained that story to a few people, and they don't have any knowledge of what the hills it is. So I feel like I've actually, I've got an I love Spencer tattoo. <laughs> Sadly, I don't remember Spencer, but anyway, long, long. Might not have been the hills. I might have just made that whole no, thing up. Like you're talking about a different show, but anyway, <laughs> moving on. Um, yeah. So yeah, so, moving on. So you, 
you started from that and it kind of it helped to build your yeah, following and then so I think sort of to take a step back and and just talk about social in in general maybe or are we going to do that anyway yeah no no no, no, no. Back Chat about segue. yeah <laughs> so social media in general I think and you know I was thinking about this before the podcast trying to do my homework about what I was going to say and you know there were real positive and negatives to it and I think obviously having an Instagram presence which is kind of a surreal thing to have it, for me is it's brought me a lot of work and I mean it's a fantastic portfolio for me and I do get a lot of work referrals to Instagram and recently I've launched a fine art business to my prints and that you know it really helps in terms of getting my work out there mm-hmm. but back when I was um pushing really to get into photography and kind of I had I guess I've always had like a foot in photography and a foot in being like an influencer because I have had I do have this following I I did feel like it devalued me as a photographer um and pushed me into the influencer category and I really want to emphasize here that I don't use the word influencer in a negative sense at all I just Mm -hmm. think they're two very different things like Mm -hmm. you know being an influencer is definitely more lucrative than being a photographer. (laughs) (laughs) Currently. (laughs) Yeah, currently. Yeah, totally. Um, But I think the output is is such a different thing. You know, a good photographer should be able to create um, a story, a series of images that communicate an idea or a concept. And, you know, as a photographer too, you're, well, at least I feel this, like I'm the one responsible for the energy on set for everyone. I don't know what if that's just me, but I feel like I have to carry that throughout the day. And that is, it's like a second job. Like you guys probably know, it's exhausting. exhausting. And it's my favorite thing in the world to work with teams. But I also come out feeling like, like a wrung out dish rag. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> and I think if you're a commercial or editorial photographer, you, you then collaborate with those teams. You're working within a set of guidelines per your client, per your art director, your team. Um, whereas an influencer, it's just a very different role. Um, and I know a lot of influencers and friends with them and, and follow influencers that create really beautiful and thoughtful content. So I don't like to talk about that negatively at all. I just think when, and maybe I, I remembered actually kind of what it what made me think about why I say perhaps having a big following made me feel like I devalued my work. But I was at a party in New York once, which that sounds really bougie, but it was just a it was just a, a really weird house in Greenpoint. It wasn't like a fancy party, but um, I was chatting to this photographer and he. <laughs> And I was like, oh, are you on Instagram? And he was like, no, I'm not. Like old school photography, you know. And like, mm-hmm. he, I was yeah. like, are you on Instagram? And he's like, no, no, I'm not. And I kind of jokingly said, oh, what, what kind of photographer's not on Instagram? And he just looked at me and he said, a real photographer and walked away. And I was like, Oof. Oh, <laughs> 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 um, yeah, so maybe it came from that. But, um, but again, yeah. like, it's awesome at the same time because. I'd say like 90% of my creative connections have come through Instagram. Like the te- the teams I've met, the people I've met, the friendships I've forged, the places I've been, that it all comes down to this crazy app, which rules our lives, you know? Um, and so I'm really grateful for that on that front too. But yeah. And I think there's, um, I've also kind of struggled a bit with following a lot of other photographers and, and comparing myself. Um, mm-hmm. 
that was something I became really conscious of last year, particularly like I was following a lot of influence, uh, influencers, photographers, getting them mixed up now myself. But um, that, you know, were jobbing all the time or always looked like they were on shoots. And like, I was like, wow, I'm not shooting as much. Like, am I, is that because I'm failing? Uh, oh my God. And, you know, you're like getting into this spiral of just like, I'm not good enough. I'm not doing enough. I'm not working hard enough. I'm not working, mm-hmm. forming the right teams and all of this. And I realized I had to kind of pull it back and like put a, one hour a day limit on instagram to save myself that's probably quite that's probably quite sensible yeah. there's a huge amount of willy waving i'm working again like the amount of people yeah. that were so desperate to be like yeah i'm back shooting <laughs> after coronavirus it's been a bit yeah it's been tough with the with the lockdown as well because you, you, you're looking at stuff and you're thinking oh not another lockdown project yeah. to make me feel like i'm not spending the time doing the right thing learned spanish and learned to play guitar and written my bloody memoirs you know photographing people indoors sat sat there on the you know sat there in bed at 11 in the morning with crisps (laughs) around your mouth and 19 cats are going oh bloody hell (laughs) yeah we've all been there we've all been there 19 cats a bag of crisps in bed (laughs) i whenever i think of that i always think of that kind of um uh, Alan Partridge with his Toblerone kind of just sat in a car park. Dro- drove to drove to Scunthorpe in his bed. <laughs> <Toblerone thing. after laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, there's probably a niche reference, but anyway. Yeah. So that was a long ramble. Did I answer the question? No, it was good. No, that's good. And I think I what I liked about that is is I've very much been aware of the dangers of social media in terms of affecting the way that you think mm. about your own work. And obviously it does influence you. And I've always been quite careful about who I follow on Instagram in terms of trying to really follow people whose work inspires me rather than just following for the sake of following. I'm still surprised you don't follow me. (laughs) A bit bit awkward to find this out now, but uh, still. (laughs) I thought he'd block you. causing a lot of jealousy and, and... yeah, it's because you're making me feel inferior <laughs> with the willy-waving. Um, back on set. <laughs> yeah. Got it. So I think, I think it's an important thing, though, as well, because for people who are starting out in the industry, I guess it can be a source of inspiration, but it can also be a bit intimidating to see this kind of curated feed that goes up that makes it look like we're always on the beach in Saint-Tropez or we're always you know going into the kind of uh first class lounge somewhere and and actually it's kind of can be very different and there's all the side of the work that we do that people don't see um and if you aren't necessarily in the right frame of mind you're in a negative headspace and it's very easy for that to kind of just put you into a bit of a downward spiral i think so it's i I mean the reason i'm interested in it because you must get lot of messages online and managing your social media and in terms of dealing with you know i imagine nowadays i mean i've had work inquiries through instagram i'm sure you have too but sometimes they're so bizarre uh that it's hard to work out what's legitimate and what's just total waste of time and what's kind of you know the way that people you know nowadays like clients kind of sending you a whatsapp message as a way of introduction and it will be kind of with emojis and you're thinking well 
call me old fashioned, but I prefer like an email <laughs> with, you know, a, a brief. Yeah, in my bio, <laughs> please, no DM, because they just, in between the responses to the cat videos, you know, I just, I don't want to miss a job right now. Yeah. So <laughs> email me, don't DM me. But <laughs> I just want to go back to your point, Greg, about you, you know, you're saying they kind of, we spend a lot of time online and we, we sort of, we're all, we're all at pains to show the very best versions of ourselves and not, and not and, you know, kind of not so much of the storms of that make us human and, and the trials of life. And I, I think I'm guilty for that because I do want to put out work that feels transportive or that feels like a different place. But within that, I don't want to make people, I don't, yeah, I don't want people to look at my work and think, you know, I can't. I feel I make them feel shit. I don't know where I'm going with this, but I. Well, your feed's like a little a little burst of sunshine for me in my pocket. I, if I if I if I start going into it, I'm like I can smell the sea. I can smell the suntan lotion. Yeah. I can feel the sun on my skin. It's and for me yeah. that level of I think you picked a really good word there. Transportive. Your work really is want, transportive. It, and I do it, want it, it to be of, that. And I think, you know, I have been honest on social about the struggles I've had in the last few years with kind of lo- loss, trauma, depression. And that is the other side to it. You know, it's like, I'm, yeah, I want to shoot these beautiful scenes, these sunny, transportive um, beach scenes, but also then kind of with words, be a bit honest about what I'm going through and, and things like that. Because, yeah, like I said, we're really good at presenting the best versions of ourselves. But, you know, we're all human. We all go through storms and that's just kind of how life is. And so, yeah. Okay. Well, I, I guess that's a good point then to come on to is, is to what's your, you know, with that in mind, how do you get into the right headspace for a shoot? What's your kind of prep? Because I always find this really interesting. And to go back to what you were saying earlier about finding your thread, I think that's a really, really interesting point for people because it's so important to be able to, if you're excited about a shoot, if you're genuinely excited about a shoot, it makes such a difference because you go in and you're looking to make pictures rather than to kind of wait for stuff just to mm-hmm. land in your lap. You know, you're you're kind of you're prepared and preparation is is hugely important on shoots. So how do you go about so doing that? What I most importantly is I put on my twenty crystals. <laughs> I was gonna say I actually watch the hills to get pumped for shoot. <laughs> I get my crystals, I get my sage. <laughs> no, but in all honesty, I think what you just said is like being prepared is is number one um sometimes you can be lucky and get and and i did this recently actually with a shoot where i didn't really prepare very much and luckily we just had a great team and a great model and the weather was great and everything ha- was brilliant but yeah you know i did i did feel a little bit unprepared so that it wasn't great but i will sit down and um depends how much involvement i'm having with the production i guess of the shoot and um, what kind of shoot it is whether mm-hmm. i'm working with an art director or producer but just like really ensuring you've all got the same vision because that is, you know, it's a bit of a killer when you get on set mm-hmm. and realize you've got two very different visions. Um, like having researched your your look um, and what you're going for and like the light you need, knowing where you need to be at exactly the right time because there's nothing like, you know, being in the production van, speeding towards sunrise, knowing that you've just missed it. Um, 
<laughs> Silently seething. Um, <laughs> uh, <in> there. <laughs> so just being like super buttoned up about your production, your um, having the right gear with you as well, mm-hmm. um, knowing like you've got all that checked off, and and obviously like having a good team, a good assistant, a good producer, stylist, like. There's all that stuff. Um, and then if you're working on a smaller budget shoot where it's scrappy, obviously you're doing all that yourself. So just making sure you've created lots of nice spreadsheets to remember everything you've got to do because I've been working on I kind of love those scrappy shoots too and it's super fun. But then in terms of actual like what I, how I mentally prepare, I do meditate before a shoot. I do cr- try and like find the thread and that's something I talked about earlier and it's just finding that. You know, like in the early days, I'd walk onto a shoot and I think I'd probably feel a bit flustered and I'd just start taking pictures. And it's like, well, okay, like, um, what's it, spray and pray. And, um, <laughs> and, and these, these days, I, th- I think I've got a little better about sort of taking a deep breath and thinking, all right, cool, these, these are the angles I'm going to go for. Like, this is how I'm going to see this differently. This is how I'm going is that what you mean when you discuss talking like about finding your thread? It's like is... for me, it's finding my thread. It's just like taking a step back and looking at the scene and thinking, okay, like what's the story I'm going to tell here, and how is it going to be different from how somebody could just walk on with a, on set with a camera? Sure. And that sounds quite simplistic, but it goes far for me in terms of preparation for a shoot. Um, and then mm. there's all the other stuff like get an early night before, don't go out drinking with the client. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because <laughs> we've all done it and it's never great i've, um, I've never done that uh, it's just me that... <laughs> <laughs> and like i always try and go for a run or something like just because i yeah just to kind of exercise and like feel that mental balance i think a little bit before a shoot really helps me and mm-hmm. especially if it's a long shoot like yeah. a 10 day one or something like that then it's super important just to like for me just like make sure i'm taking care of myself because when you're having really long days on set it's you do get well so much of shooting is decision making as well and i think it's very easy to get decision fatigue quite Mm. quickly especially on a long long shoot days and so it's almost like taking the preparation involves taking as many of those decisions off the table before the actual day so that you've got the capacity to deal with everything else i I think people always forget how actually physically draining our job is because like you you're saying earlier you have to be the life and soul of the party because you have to be the good vibe on yeah. set but also yeah. really the buck stops mm. with you you have to be getting the work and if, yeah. and if you're hungover or you're exhausted or you're feeling slightly run down things like that you're just not going to be operating to the best of your abilities so yeah. take take your vitamins yeah. make sure you're well rested do all yeah. of that and just look after yourself it, uh, yes the words self-care are very overused these days, but there is there is an element of that. Mm, for sure. And it can be tough, especially if you're flying in or you're driving to yeah. a location. You know, sometimes clients don't always understand that you getting up first thing in the morning and driving two hours and then shooting all day and then driving back to try and get it all done in a day is not the best approach. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, you getting off the plane and going straight oh, yeah. into a recce. When you've just been there, you know, flying I, yeah, for eleven I had to hours shoot in Hawaii, and, and I was living in Australia at the time, and got to the airport. The flight was delayed by seven hours, so just sat in the airport for seven hours, and then they called it. They were like, "It's not going tonight. Come back tomorrow morning." Ugh. So I went back the next morning, still delayed, but got on it. I think it was like twenty-four hour or 
24 hours all up that we were even just delayed. And then there was the flight, which was like 12 hours. And then the time difference, because I'd flown from Australia across the state, across the mm-hmm. state line, and then got there at maybe four in the morning. And the shoot started at seven. And I just oh. reduced the light. Is there any chance I could just get a couple more hours to, to sleep? And they were like, nah, it's got a, we've got a, we've got it all planned out. And I was like, okay, it's all good. All right. <laughs> <laughs> like that shoot never I just never oh. gave my best. I wasn't happy with it, how the images came out, but like that was not all my fault. Even though that shoot I did carry that for a long time, feeling like I came out of it because I think we probably, you know, you guys know how this feels, but when you come out of a shoot where like you're not happy with the images and maybe you can you think the client's probably not that happy with the images and it like it dent it yeah. dented me for a long time. I was like, God, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> yeah i i don't know how many mm. oh it can really yeah, yeah. Funny. Yeah. I, I also it doesn't it doesn't tend to happen very often but i i kind of rem, i can kind of count them on my on my hand and i'm just like i still think about them i still yeah. think about those shoots but in a in a way it's good to be able to reflect like that because if you come out of every shoot being like that's fucking smash that <laughs> like it, yeah it's like when all the kids at school right this is going to sound terrible this is when all the kids came out of school and you'd come out of the exam and be like oh, i found that quite hard and then they'd be like the kids would be like that went well I, I thought that was the easiest thing ever and they got the worst marks and you did yeah. all right but it's like being able to reflect back on things is just super yeah. useful and you got to, you've got of course you've got to just take the learnings from these and realize you know even though, like you said, the buck stops with you as the photographer because you're delivering the images, there mm. is so many elements that go into a shoot and make it successful from the model mm. to the light to the crew to the location to the, how long you travel to get there. You know, it's, it, there's so many variables. But when it all comes together. I used to keep a notebook. I used to keep a notebook with uh, from shoots if I had kind of did something that didn't work out or there was like a takeaway that I mm. thought would help in future. You used to just try and keep kind of notes on That's everything. A great so like, idea. I do that with Google Doc. Yeah, okay. I was going to ask because I think that that's it, – it's also this thing of you never really no. stop learning. However long you do this career, you never stop learning. There's always mistakes to be made. There's always things to be learned. Um, and I know it's a cliche to say you're only as good as your last shoot, but if you kind of – get into that mindset then it's very easy to beat yourself up when you have a bad shoot or you have a shoot where and it does happen quite a lot on shoots where you will see stuff that just you're never going to be able to get but because you've seen it and then you think i wish i could have got that Mm. somehow in your head like whatever you have got is going to be difficult to live up to and i find that generally those things fade in time and you go and sit back and look at the edit a week later when you're emotionally more distant from it it's yeah. easier to actually see I, the good stuff that is yeah. i love shooting film in a way because of that reason like i it's almost a given for me that i'll come off a shoot i'll be looking at images on the plane home or like however i'm looking at them with the art director on set and i'm like oh i don't know how i feel about all this and then i'll go away yeah and i it, it just i need that space from the shoot, I think, um, yeah. and particularly with film, that's why I love it so much. Obviously, getting a backpack a few days later and sort of seeing those moments and not. Well, it gives you a legitimate excuse, doesn't it? Not to, you know, if you turn around to an art director and say, "Yeah, I just, 
just don't really want to look at the work today. <laughs> Can we come back in a week? They'd be like, why? Whereas if you've got film, it's out of your control. Yeah. You know, is that sense of like... I think I was reading, oh my God, I might get this reference wrong, but I think it was Cartier-Bresson that he wouldn't look at his film for like a year or something. Oh, I hope it was him. I don't know. Might have to fact check that. And then it'd, it'd look at it and I just think, God, what a luxury! Because you definitely wouldn't be able to do that now. But on, or at least you know, I'm shooting commercial. I mean, some of that maybe that yeah. was editorial that I was shooting. I don't know, but it sounds like the dream. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess as well. Like back then, they'd be on the road for you know. You could. I remember I was reading about George Roger the other day, who's one of uh, Cartier Bresson's contempt um, kind of colleagues at the time who set up Magnum with. And he, during the war, went off to do a, a shoot and he basically didn't come back for two years. <laughs> he just It just went from one story to the next story to the next story and just stayed on the road. That's and, you know, there's that, there's that sense that that kind of thing was more maybe a bit more possible then. I don't know. In a weird way, you'd be sending your film off and not really having anything to do with yeah, it, I guess. There probably start, still are lots of di- digital nomads that do that now, you know. Not great for client deadlines, though. No. <laughs> or, or family, family life. life. Yeah. <laughs> client dead, client <laughs> deadlines that just seem to be getting more and more insane. Yeah. They're, they're literally just like, uh, we, we really need these pictures quickly. I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to be flexible. You know, when do you need them? Yeah. Three, three days ago. You go, yeah. oh, oh, right. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. Yeah, cool. <laughs> yeah. I'll just edit 400 raw files for you and worry about it. Yeah. Oh, it is wild. So how do you like going back to your shoot when you're kind of you've you found your thread do you have a do you have a moment where you feel like you reach a state of flow in your shooting and and because I only asked this because we you know I was thinking about this these questions and for me I think reaching a state of flow is quite a rare um I could probably count it on one hand when I truly feel like I've been in that uh, in terms of over a, maybe half a year, six months of shoots, or even a year's worth of shoots, I could probably count on one hand the times when I feel like I really kind of got into the zone, really, really in the zone. And I guess it's different for everybody. But is have, do you have any kind of process that helps you get into that state of flow? And do you find that that is something that you can easily kind of get into? Or do you have kind of, uh, I don't know, any tips or tricks of how you manage uh, that? Yeah, and I think it depends what you're shooting. So if I'm shooting fashion stuff, I find it way easier to get into flow um, just because I, I mean, it sounds cliche, but like to connect with the subject and usually I'll hang out yeah. with the model for a little bit and just chat, chat shit and find out what you both like and usually make some dumb jokes, I guess. And then, you know, just, just bring a bit of energy and like I, I – I've really found like a flow with my shoot days when it is kind of fashion or, or like a human focus. I'll, we'll probably start out in the morning, first few shots. So you know how they are with the first few shots with the team. You're like, everyone's just figuring each other out and the energy, mm-hmm. you know, it's like kind of getting there. Um, and then for me, it's like 11 AM and it's like, bam, okay, we all got this. Like we're all kind of fighting. Beat the tiger, <laughs> beat the tiger. Yeah. And, um, and I know like if, if you recorded me, I'd probably be saying that, most stupid awful things but it's like I don't know I just get like super energetic being with a team of people 
and if everyone's awesome and we're getting on then like I'm in flow and I've I'm a bit super lucky I guess yeah. that I've never really been with a team where that hasn't flowed or if I have at least 50% of the team's been awesome and then the rest yeah whatever but um I think for travel work it's a little bit different um when you're traveling on assignment and it's just you or you're traveling with an editor or writer it, it it's like a slower process because you're just shooting as you go or like it's Whereas the fact, what I love about the fashion work, it's Not like a day, internal. right? You're just building, building, and building, and then by yeah. five o'clock, everyone's like exhausted, but they're just pushing for the last shots of the day. Whereas mm. when it's travel, it's more kind of like broken up throughout the day. You're getting in the car, you're traveling around. You're um, you're mm. less kind of, for me, likely to get into that flow state unless you're in a situation where it's just so, or an environment or a location that's just so incredible. Mm-hmm you can't leave or the lights firing and you're just like, Oh my God, everything's amazing. Um, <laughs> so there's two yeah. different, very different things. And, and I love both aspects of the work. Um, I love the solitude of some of the travel work because it allows me to be fully kind of with myself and that environment. And then I love the, the fashion work or this, you know, whatever studio work or team kind of working with the team, because I just love being with people and learning and, and I'm curious and, like hanging out making bad dad yeah. jokes i think i mean <laughs> tom's great <laughs> then bad bad if dad you need jokes, any sort of book they're, they're the one really aren't they <laughs> <laughs> definitely icebreakers to the yeah, shot of the day <laughs> kindred kindred is spirits there, is there anything right? in terms of <laughs> spirits should we have a side chat <laughs> after oh <laughs> yes <laughs> <laughs> is there anything in terms of kind of um uh gear or kit that you take along to shoots that helps you really kind of get into a flow i know from personal experience for example and i've talked before on the podcast about using sometimes using a certain camera or certain format of shooting will make me think differently about the pictures i'm taking um you know it can slow you down or it can you know if you know you're shooting black and white film it kind of channels the way that you're thinking creatively so it helps to mold your responses to stuff is there anything that you uh, take along on shoots to kind of help that process yourself? Yeah, definitely. I think, um, well, first off, I started shooting the Canon 5D series, um, which I do still use for certain commercial jobs, but I've almost pretty much fully switched to Leica now. Um, I find that the, I shoot Leica M10 and the cat, like, it's such a small camera. It just seems so, um, small and 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 people i think people seem more at ease with it uh certainly film cameras especially when you're doing travel and street photography work i think film cameras are the way to go like toting a canon 5d mark IV around the streets of peru is like everyone's just running you know it's like what what is that it's all it's there's nothing that makes people feel at ease um so uh yeah i love I love the M10 and like I said, I've almost pretty much switched to it even for commercial work. It, it slows me down a lot because obviously it's manual focus, but mm-hmm. I feel like that's gotten me to a place where I'm just so much more literate with a camera um, in terms of all the settings because mm-hmm. I shoot on full manual. Uh, so I just have to kind of be aware of that at the same time, although it's become like kind of an extension of my hand now, I guess. So I don't think about it too much. Uh, and then it's always good to have a Polaroid camera with you. Uh, just for like, mm. it's a nice keepsake for people. 
especially with travel. I found I went to Cuba a few years ago for a shoot and was kind of realizing like a lot of people there get their pictures taken, but none of them see it. Uh, because back then, yeah. I don't really know quite what it's like at the moment, but there was really not that much access to internet. So um, I carried a Polaroid camera around and, you know, kind of photographed kids and then gave them a picture. And it was so fun. Like kids love watching a picture develop on a Polaroid. It, I mean, too yeah so just having like a few things like that and then it's a really nice thing for some you know clients to take away as well it's like a little memento of the day so yeah i think it's quite interesting i know that uh, fujifilm do uh an instax printer which is quite useful because you can it still emerges like a, it's not yeah. a true polaroid it's obviously the fujifilm version of it but um a the printer looks expensive <laughs> and b you know, I've I've used it a lot when I've been working on NGO yeah. jobs in Africa and places where it's you know you genuinely you can be interacting with people that probably don't even own a picture mm. of themselves sometimes. Um, and to be able to kind of just give them something uh, is is fantastic. But the good thing about something like the Instax is is you can I believe it's the Instax is you can link it up to your camera or to your phone and print a copy of the picture off that, which means you're not necessarily because the thing with like a I also have a SX70 and a you know 600 SE the peel apart Polaroid film, which is fantastic, but that stuff's mm, like gold yeah. dust, and <laughs> in a way you're like. I don't really want to give it away because I want to just, I want at least want to scan it first and then give it yeah. to you. But when you're in the field, that's not Polaroid. possible. I'm so... talking about the Instax, you know. Okay, cool, yeah. I thought you were going away, like dishing out impossible project, like you were an absolute baller. Just, yeah, As if they're like 50 spraying away, yeah. I mean, shooting instant film is pretty, is not cheap. It's yeah. insane, isn't it? What is it now currently? Two pa- two pound a shot? Probably on oh. so yeah. The thing is though, there is I guess what it is is as as we we really do miss that tactile nature of of being able to produce something that is physical rather than just a digital picture. It's and to go back to shoot you know, you shooting on film and when you look at your work, some of the stuff I love the most is the stuff that does have imperfections yeah. to it. And that imperfection is what makes it almost kind of special because you know that that is a true moment that can never be repeated it's not something that can be copied by somebody else you know a lot of stuff on instagram for example especially in the early days was like this classic you know this this particular shot with a tiny person in the frame and it's like it's great it's nice whatever but you then i mean i had a shoot last year i think in santorini in greece and you could we were out there shooting parkour so it was a bit random but there were people, and we were shooting up on the rooftops, but there were people trying to queue, waiting for us to finish so they could all go up and get the exact same shot that they'd seen yeah. on Instagram, you know, where they're kind of holding their hat that's slightly blowing yeah. in the breeze and some poor Insta boyfriend yeah. kind of <laughs> getting shouted at. That's the, kind of the side of influencers that we all feel a bit sort of weird about is that, yeah, I I was in Italy and watched a girl take on and off her hat for at least an hour as her poor boyfriend captured it on his iPhone, DSLR, video, Polaroid. I was like, whoa, you've got, lady, you've got this covered off. Like, I'm pretty sure you've got a shot in there somewhere. Um, yeah. <laughs> Were you not tempted to just yell out, <laughs> that's a wrap? <laughs> Move on to your next 
scene. Um, it does. It does make me sad though with these guys. That I'm just like, you know, you could be at the Trevi Fountain, for example, and you're not you're not truly experiencing, or you're not kind of you know you're not looking at anything proper, yeah, or properly even, and you're just mm. you know it just seems like such a waste. It's almost just. There is that danger with photography, mm. though, isn't there? Because you are then experiencing something through a frame. And we've all been guilty of it, I'm sure. We've been yeah. somewhere, I remember years ago, photographing the gorillas in Rwanda and having to put my camera down because I just knew that if I didn't, if I just took pictures the entire time that we had allotted there, I wouldn't really remember it. And it wouldn't actually be something that yeah. was that special. And it was a difficult thing to do because at the end of the day, I was being paid to be there to shape, shoot pictures. But... You know, I also wanted to, it was something I'd wanted to experience since I was a kid. And I knew that if I just carried on looking through the viewfinder, you're missing so much. And it's part of the way that your brain actually processes, um, you know, uh, a, mm. an experience is hindered, I think, when you are only looking at the screen of your phone or at yeah. the back of your camera. You've taken a thousand pictures, but you didn't see it with your own eyes. It's like, I'm sure most people have experienced it when they've gone to a gig. You know, people feel the need to film something that they'll probably really never look at again. Video, yeah, right. Yeah, I'm <laughs> awful audio. And you think, yeah, just, yeah, be in the moment. It's so much better. Leave the kind of the capturing it to leave the capturing it to us. We'll do it. <laughs> we can we yeah. can turn the audio down. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, so that's okay. That's so that's fascinating. So basically, the um, using a bit of Polaroid or a bit of instant film and a, a bit of something a bit more mechanical like the Leica helps to kind of change the way you shoot. That does make sense. Um, that's super interesting. Can I bring this back a little bit? I hate to do this. Can I bring it back a little bit to social media? Because obviously, whilst your work is sublime and your color work is genuinely some of the best I've seen the um you you have a very very beautiful curated feed now i put out a survey on my instagram uh, account a few weeks ago saying how important is a curated feed to people uh, yes or no basically and i kind of thought everyone would say it's a super super important thing to have a curated feed you must have it and actually it was about 80% people didn't care and then the other 20%, I looked because obviously, you know, you can see who's responded. Yeah. All of my editors, my commissioners, all of the people I know at agencies, they all just didn't care. They all just voted, no, nah, it doesn't matter. The only people who voted yes were photographers. Oh, maybe they just, that's like unconscious. They, they think it doesn't matter, but it does. I don't know. I think it's really important, mm. but it's almost like I have to, it's like a self, like I have to, to feel satisfied with it myself to feel inspired and creative so I think to a certain extent I'm kind of just playing to my own OCD nature there because everything mm. has to sort of flow for me otherwise I feel uncomfortable about it do, do you find there's a bit of pressure then for the next image one of the reasons I don't post as much as I I should really do to Instagram is that I always feel like a certain level of pressure to post don't know something like in a curated feed or something like that and for me i stopped curating my feed a couple of weeks ago and i've posted loads and i've enjoyed posting again oh that's a really good call yeah probably i i do meticulously think about how the colors play together and how the images work i it's probably a bit of a waste of time but um <laughs> yeah i don't know i i think we'd all like our feeds 
to to be a true reflection of the work we're producing and the work we feel really excited about. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think, you know, as a commercial photographer, there's always going to be projects I work on that I want to, I do want to share them, but maybe they don't jive with everything else that's on there. So they don't see the light of day. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not to say I'm not proud of the work. It's just a different, different sort of style of work. Uh, but that, but that goes back to the authenticity, doesn't it? And it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't necessarily fit into your, yeah. your authentic feel. Yes, but as a working photographer, I mean, you you do that work. Like you, mm. you have to do that work, and I enjoy doing that work too. And I think my feed is really has become kind of more about my fine art prints than it has become about my work because it just they resonate. They the kind of I feel they inspire me in a way, so I want to share them. Mm-hmm. Um, I probably need to start a second Instagram for like commercial stuff, but I don't have time to manage to. So <laughs> fair, fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. Uh, but I think you know this kind of goes back to again, it's like I remember a good photographer saying to me, you know, put out the work you want to attract. And mm-hmm. that was when I was kind of bitching and moaning to him about not getting certain projects that I wanted. And he was like, Yeah, but you're posting a bunch of travel stuff. You're not gonna get fashion if you're not putting out your fashion work. And I was like, Yeah, that makes sense. Because people see it, photo editors see it, editors, uh, you know, producers, that kind of stuff. And then and agencies, and then you you might get booked for that kind of stuff. But um, I think this is a privilege when you get to a certain point in your career that you are perhaps able to be a bit more selective about the work you commit to. And then mm-hmm. you know that whatever you're shooting is going to feel really right for you. It's going to feel right for your aesthetic. But having said that, we all know that's not always the reality and that you are going to take jobs and do work that don't necessarily look like Italian beaches. Mm-hmm. It's fair. It's fair, fair enough. <laughs> um, quickly, if there are, what would you say is, are there any tips you've got for curating or editing down a feed, making it look consistent or any, any, any kind of general tips about the aesthetic of running a like a successful Instagram account? Um, I plan my content. I plan all my images in another app so I can like, mm-hmm. move them around and see how they look, which is obsessive compulsive. Which, um, no, which, which app is that? It's called Un, um, which is Unfold. Like UN, no, is it- Un, oh, i got to look at my phone. Un, um, U-N-U-M. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, and then I'm, I just... And I'm naturally drawn to color anyway, so I feel my images do flow in that way. And I'm very drawn to those kind of blues and and like soft focus and blur. Uh, so I end up with a lot of that stuff, and it just kind of makes sense together. Um, but then you know, I also sometimes I'll shoot something that doesn't feel like that at all, and I really like it, but it doesn't resonate well on Instagram. But I've come to the sort of point where I'm like, well, you know what, I feel good about that, so I don't care. I'm going to put it out there. Um, I think you have you have to trust your own. At the end of the day, you're being hired for yeah. your taste and for yeah. your judgment, and so you have to kind of be true to that. Uh, you know, I read an interview with um, Cecil Beaton the other day, and that was something that he spoke a lot about: the idea that he didn't really care to some degree what other people thought of his work. He, as long as he, mm-hmm. if he was happy, that's all that mattered. And I think you kind of—I know that sounds a bit big-headed and a bit arrogant, but 
at the end of the day you're being asked to create something and you are being hired for your mm-hmm. your eye your taste your judgment yeah. and know, i think we that. you we touched on this earlier but like you know what it looks like when you look on back a camera and you you've got the image and it kind of says it stops you and you just know in that minute you got it um but then you might have some days where you, you don't get to that point but yeah and it's the greatest feeling so when you do get it <laughs> and there's it's that it's that feeling of just especially if it's something that has got multiple elements that have kind of come together it's it's that magical thing where there's something that you couldn't just reproduce right. well, i think is the biggest thing moment, isn't it? when you really yeah 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 100 percent. well i mean there's been amazing we're probably going to have to start wrapping it up but i would love obviously before we go we have our two um constant questions so we always ask guests that come on um and the you know considering your work involves a lot of sandy beaches and beautiful looking seas and beautiful looking people um (laughs) i think you're gonna be right at home on our desert island (laughs) (laughs) um so what camera would you be likely to take with you what's your desert island camera and what's your desert island which says tough call but um Mm. okay so i have a camera which belonged to my dad's when i was a kid which is here which is film camera is the pentax spotmatic which then my brother had nice which one is which model is that um is it the sp500 how do we it'll it'll tell you it'll tell you on the top plate yeah sp just sp sp what though because right interesting story about this particular camera Pentax created an SP500 and SP1000, and they re- they were referring to the top shutter speed. So one was 500 and one was 1000, right? 1000. Okay, right. So, do you know that? So, so that's the one that has a thousand on the shutter dial, yep. on the speed dial, right? Yep. If you buy the SP500 and just turn it one more click on from SP. 500 it goes to 1000 but they just the only difference in the in the two models was they put one that your one has 1000 engraved on the speed dial oh. and the sp500 the mechanics are identical they, they are the same camera thousand hmm? buggers did they charge more for the thousand of course, of course they did oh yeah well there you go <laughs> but anyway this and then it was my brother's and now it's mine and i've shot all my print shop work on this camera and i fucking love it it's like a magic camera um but i would need a lot of film on a desert island for that camera so my other camera would be the m10 p with 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 which lens oh that is tough right 3514 seems to be a lot of people but uh yeah summer yeah the summer lux 35 is amazing but Mm -hmm. every time i shoot with the 50 summer lux i'm like Oh, this is just a beautiful lens. I mean, it, they are lovely lenses, to be fair. They are lenses. So yeah. I might go Leica. I don't know. I'm actually probably going to take both, to be honest. Sorry. We'll allow it. <laughs> we'll allow it. <laughs> are you a silver or a black Leica silver. user? Oh. What are you? Oh, yeah. Black. Flashy. Yeah. I'm black. I guys always go for yeah. that. Yeah. Do you know oh, what, yeah. though? It's... Bit um, useless which, hang on, Greg, which one's that? Is that the M10 as well? You get now, the M10P yeah, or the M10. I, 
so I would actually have an M two forty, and you know why? I am I'm a bit of a bully with my cameras, and I knock the crap out of them. M ten doesn't look as good as the M two forty when it's had the paint chipped off because the M two forty, I think, is the last one to have the brass. Has the brass now? The M now the M ten has yeah. a weird silver, and it just doesn't doesn't I don't know. It just doesn't look quite right for me. Aesthetic values. I just. <laughs> I just love when you look at all these kind of like the, the Vietnam photo books where they show pictures of the cameras. Yeah. Oh, so just those, God, those black chrome and brass. Oh, yeah. Just, yeah huge I, I do think there's some magic yeah, in that, you, in that cam- in those Leica cameras. And I'm not, I'm not getting paid to yeah. say that, but I do think there is some magic in the <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. um, So what's your, what's your Desert um, Island okay, photo so book then? I am going to say Hold Still by Sally Mann, which is, actually it's Ooh. not a straight photo book it's kind of like a memoir with photographs but mm-hmm. i just love this book and and you've got to read it it's just such a beautiful story of kind of her journey as a photographer and there is her photographs in there too so it does technically make it a photo book i think but it's um yeah it's it's just a kind of interplay of narrative and image and and I love her work and it was so kind of topical, not topical, but controversial when she did the work with her children. Mm -hmm. She talked a lot about that and and how she kind of just pushed through and kept going even in the face of, um, you know, the media that came out around that. And I just, she writes beautifully and I I found a lot of her words inspiring. So if I went to a desert island, I would need to look at photos, but I also need to read some words. So that's my book. There we go. I, I mean, her books, her family oh, book is fantastic. Is that the one with the? Is that the one with the smoking child? Was, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. If you like that, have you ever seen much of Larry no. Towell's work? Larry Towell, spelt T O W E L L. Larry. Um, Magnum. Sorry. Magnum. Did he? Did he have an autobiography called "Throwing in the Towel"? He no, but he, he missed a trick, trick. clearly. Um, <laughs> he he has a book called Family Album, um, which is, uh, I think it's Family Album. And, uh, sorry, from my world from my front porch. Nothing to do with family albums, but it is like a family album. Life from my front porch um, does sound like a coronavirus project. he was way ahead of his time because it came out in 2008 um but yeah it's a beautiful book and very much like sally man he he spent a lot of time focusing the lens on his family living a very rural life out in i think in ontario uh interspersed with kind of going off and shooting in the west bank and shooting in central america during civil wars um and yeah the books are really nice he did one on Afghanistan in 2014 that I would love to see, but um, I believe uh, it's worth hundreds, hundreds of pounds. So um, I've never seen a, a copy of it. But yeah, an, a great photographer. And if you like Sally's work, I imagine you'd quite like his. But that's detracting from Sally, <coughs> Sally Mann, who is. Yeah, and, I, and she also but... touches a lot on kind of um, division in the South, which is a really sort of topical read at the moment as well. Mm. So. I'm going to mm. reopen it tonight and read it. Amazing. Well, I've never I've never seen that biography, so I'm going to that's going to go on my. You should start um, like a little book, book club exchange as part of this podcast, where we don't have to keep buying new books, but we circulate them around. Ooh. Well, maybe at some point, Charcoal Book Club will decide to sponsor us. <laughs> 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 
But in the meantime, what we're what we're going to start doing is actually taking people's photo books and um, putting little snaps of them up on the Instagram oh, feed cool. for the show. So um, at least they'll all be in one place, uh, and that people can kind of get a sense of what our guests are reading and what our guests enjoy looking at. Um, but all that leaves me to say is um, thank you so much for coming on today. It's been really great to finally get to talk to you i've been a big fan of your work for a long time um you're one of you know the go-to people i look at when i kind of need a bit of a lift uh in photography so um it's been wonderful to kind of have you on and to hear your secret source so to speak so (laughs) thank you so much very much well thanks so much for tuning in this week i hope you enjoyed the episode If you'd like to know more about today's guest and read the show notes, head along to www.exposednegative.com and you can find us on Instagram at exnegative. See you next week.